0: good morning peace It's such a sought-out after concept on so many different levels whether you're talking about personally in your own life or spiritually, congregationally or even nationally as we all know it is not an easily maintained state of affairs and the reason why is because of tension unrest, disharmony, turmoil. And all of these kind of things are easily sown in our lives because of our own mistakes, our own missteps, as well as those of others. And so God instructs us in Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. He says, If possible, so far as depends on you, Be at peace. Be at peace with all men. There are two things that you can deduct from this passage. More than that, probably. But there's two things I want to bring out. One is, peace requires effort on our part. Peace requires our work. It requires our action that facilitates that peace. And two, peace is dependent upon all persons involved. It cannot be attained or maintained by one side only. Now our Heavenly Father is a God of peace. And He is a God of peace because He seeks to remove all of those things that cause discord and division. And in turn, He calls us to imitate Him by being peacemakers ourselves. But peace does not come easily, does it? Peace is costly. Because there can be no peace, truly. There can truly be no peace without a death. There can be no peace without death. And so therefore, Jesus Christ, our peace, did what? Well, He died on a cross. And as we have remembered this morning and studied as well already, in Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verse 21 and 22 reads, Although we, or although you, were formerly alienated, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, although that was what you were, he says, yet He, speaking of Jesus Christ, the preeminent One, He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. He has reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Man's sins, our sins, do what? Well, they alienate us from God. Our, our transgressions cause disharmony and turmoil, grief and pain. That's what sin does. And it does it to us. We do it to ourselves. We do it to others, and we do it to God. But the Son of God, Jesus, Emmanuel, He came to reconcile image-bearers of the Creator with their Creator. Jehovah is holy. And as Revelation tells us in Revelation chapter 4, He is holy, holy, holy. And all those who come before Him and all those who desire to come before Him must come in holiness. We must come in blamelessness. but left to ourselves, we are not. We are not holy. We are not blameless. We are not good. Left to ourselves. And so therefore our peace had to die on a cross. Christ's fleshly body was tortured. Christ's fleshly body was crucified for the world, for you, for me. Why? Well, to atone you, as Romans 3 says. In Romans 3 verse 25, it was there to atone, to propitiate on behalf of not himself, but on the behalf of our sins, the world's sins. Romans 6, 3, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is what? It is death. Somebody had to pay. Somebody had to pay the ransom for sinners. And Jesus did. In Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, so eloquently expresses the idea of how Jesus partook or tasted of death. He says we do see Him, Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So we see Jesus made lower than the angels because of the suffering of death, now crowned, crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. There is no peace without death. And so therefore Jesus tasted death for everyone for it was fitting for Him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Jesus tasted death and endured the cross why so that he may bring many sons to glory so that he may bring those sins those sons so they may enter their father's peace. And so Christ established peace by putting to death the enmity That enmity which divide or has divided mankind, people. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 through 16, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, for He Himself, Jesus Christ again, He Himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down... Broke down the barrier. The barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh. The enmity. Which is. The law of commandments. Contained in ordinances. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Thus establishing peace. Am I reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity? In ancient days, God chose Abraham and He chose Abraham's descendants to be the means by which what He would bless all nations one day. One day He would bless all nations through someone who would be descend from the lineage of Abraham and that would be the seed Christ Jesus So in ancient days God chose Abraham and made that promise and God kept that promise He fulfilled that promise And so the sanctifying of Israel that chosen nation that chosen people of God distinguished them did it not And it distinguished them from those people who were in a covenant relationship with God from those who were not. From those nations who were not in a covenant relationship with them. So a distinction was made. All part of God's plan to ultimately one day bring the seed, Jesus Christ, who would be able to bless all people. Now, God's laws in the Old Testament, those laws that He revealed to the nation of Israel through Moses, were designed for what purpose? Well, they were designed to make Israel holy. God chose them. God sanctified them. God set them apart, and He gave them laws. He gave them a covenant. He gave them commandments, and that was to set them and make them and instill in them God's holiness to guide their steps in righteousness. And for example, you go back to the very beginning when they are at Mount Sinai there in Exodus chapter 19. Before the the, the law is given, God speaks through Moses and says in verse 5, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. I am choosing you above and out from all other peoples. For all the earth is mine. And I pick you, he says. And you shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. These are the words you will speak to the sons of Israel. But what happened in history? Well, misapplication, abuse of their sanctified distinction as God's people led them unto self-righteousness, unto prejudice, and unto mistreatment of others. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to correct people's thinking. They took a law that should instill them in holiness, and righteousness, and love, and that's not what they exemplified. And so Jesus came to correct that thinking. And for example, in Luke chapter ten. The story of the good Samaritan. And who is the man that loved his neighbor? It's the one who showed mercy to another in need. No matter what their ethnicity was. That's loving your neighbor. And so we came to correct the Jewish thinking. They had misapplied the law. And in so doing they had become self-righteous. Or in John 4 when you have the story of Jesus at the well teaching the Samaritan woman. And what is he doing there besides teaching the truth and teaching about the kingdom and teaching about salvation? Well, Jesus is also breaking down walls when he taught a Samaritan woman of all people about the water of life. And so as Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus, our peace, came to remove a barrier. He came to tear down a wall. He came to remove that which divided people so they could become a one people. And so the law of commandments, which separated nations, which led to enmity, Jesus fulfilled and Jesus abolished. He put to death that enmity. And so now, any person, all persons for that matter, can, if they're willing, all persons can now become fellow citizens. We all can become fellow heirs in one family, in one body, and one church. And so therefore, believers who are baptized into into Christ and adorn themselves with Christ through baptism, they're all one. They're one in Christ. They are not Jew or Gentile any longer. They are not slave or free any longer. They are not Caucasian or African-American, or whatever difference we have, that is no longer (coughs) important. Because Jesus is our peace, and he established peace by putting to death the enmity, the divided people. But peace in Christ also calls for our death, of our selfishness. You're familiar with what Jesus teaches there in Luke 9. Luke 9 about the cost of discipleship. And so peace in Christ calls for the death of our selfishness. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus said to them all, If anyone wishes to come come to me. And so the point is, if I want to partake of my peace, if I want to do share and taste of the goodness of peace in Christ with God, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save. Self interest, selfish ambition, self promotion, all of those things are very prevalent pursuits in our world. And they are often justified by the worldly minded by defending the importance and the value of self-awareness and self-esteem. But Jesus commands us to deny ourselves. If I want peace, a death must happen. I must deny myself And every day carry my own instrument of death. Now Jesus is not calling here for physical suicide. The taking of of, of physical life. But he is teaching that this peaceful rest. You know the rest or the easing of the heaviness of life's burdens. You cannot attain that. By following Jesus without dying in a sense yourself. To achieve this peace that is in Christ not only has Jesus died on the cross for us, not only has put to death the enmity that had divided mankind he says, okay, you have to die too. Selfishness has to be put to death. And so you think about that idea, our own wills, our own interests, our own pleasure, all of those things have to be put to death daily. So salvation's peace requires a losing of ourselves. It requires a a giving up of ourselves for Christ's sake so that we can be reconciled by our peace and we can be reconciled To and with our Prince of Peace. Now this new life of peace comes after a believer is baptized into death. In Romans chapter 6, you turn to a very familiar passage that speaks of what is transpiring, what is changing... When one is baptized into Jesus Christ. And we begin our reading in that familiar verse of chapter 6, verse 4. that says, therefore, grace does not justify or condone sin. And so in verse 4, therefore, we have been buried with him. Buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Clearly, the Spirit of the Apostle Paul is teaching that there is a strong correlation between baptism and death. That's That's obvious. There is this strong correlation between baptism and death. And the the main connection to this is the fact that the Lord Jesus himself died, was buried, and was raised from death. That's, That's the main correlation that gives significance, a meaning, and purpose to the commandment of Jesus Christ. And so if I desire, if I want, if I long to receive and gain the benefit... Of God's Son's sacrifice and His victory. If I, if I want to taste of that, if I want to partake of that, if I want to receive all the blessings that come with that, then we must unite ourselves with the likeness of His death. And we must unite ourselves with the likeness of His resurrection. Because freedom from sin or freedom from the bondage of our sins requires our old man dying and being buried. Not just dying. He said we must die and we must be buried. Not only did Jesus have to die to be our peace, He is the atonement, He is the propitiation. He is the unblemished Lamb of God that is the manifestation, revelation of truth, grace, and love. But not only did Jesus have to die to be our peace, our sinful self must also die too. Peace is dependent upon God and and upon us. Us doing our part to meet the terms of peace. And it's God's terms. Because we're the sinner. We're the unholy ones. We're the ungodly ones. We're the ones that are the transgressors. But peace is dependent upon God and on us. You know, there can be no true and lasting peace for a believer without being baptized into death. Our death as well as Christ. As you think about that idea, the burden and the guilt of our sins is not remitted until we make the determination. We make the decision to put away all of our sins. And that's where repentance comes in. But that's not all of it. And then what do we have to do? Well, we make a decision. We repent. And then what do we have to do? We have to bury ourselves with Christ into death. And that's where baptism comes in. This new life of peace in Christ and with Christ comes after a believer is baptized into death. But then finally, all who have died... All who have died in Christ, they've denied themselves and their daily carrying the cross and they have buried themselves in Christ in death. All who have done so must continue putting to death sin. So we return to our text of this morning, Colossians chapter 3. And again, you look there in verse 5 and verse 6. And read those two verses again as well. And it says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body, or put to death the members of your earthly body. And that is immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come, Upon the sons of disobedience. Everyone who's been raised up with Christ to walk in his life, as talked about here at the beginning of chapter 3, are people who keep on seeking spiritual things and they keep on seeking heavenly things, Christ ordained things. Why is that? Because they have died and Christ is their life. That's why. Their outlook. Their viewpoint, their values are all God-centered, God-ordained. And so therefore sin, how do we look at sin now? Well, sin is seen through the lenses of God's truth. Sin is seen through the lenses of God's righteousness, not through the world's judgments or the world's opinion or the world's estimation. Neither it is through a culture's changing winds. The trends of the times. Thus, That is not how we see sin. We see sin through Christ now. Because our life is hidden in Christ. Transgression in the first century is still. Transgression in the 21st century. Sin is still sin. And every day... We who have been raised up to walk in the newness of life must do so, and that entails us putting to death the love of this world, putting to death all deeds of the flesh day by day. That's so what Romans 6 says, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we are dead to sin, we are. When we are dead to something, we don't do it. If we're dead to it, we don't do it anymore. Peace is lost. The peace we attain is lost if we go back to walking and living in sin if we go back to the old man, to the old ways, to the old ungodly habits, to the lustful desires of this world, if we go back to walking, living, and practicing those things, then we lose peace. Because there is no peace where sin reigns in us. The world, and many religions, and many faiths, Promise peace to lots of people when there is no peace to them. But there is peace. And it's found in God, and it's found in Christ, and it's found in truth. And that peace is available, and that peace is accessible and attainable, but it is costly. It is very costly. It is so costly that Jesus had to die to make that peace with God, with your Creator accessible to you, available to you. So there is peace. But you and I have to be willing to die as well. Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and be buried in baptism into death, that by the grace of God and faith in Christ, we are raised up to walk in units of life, and to see sin through the eyes of Jesus, and be dead to it every day. Are you a Christian? <coughs> Have you denied yourself? Are you carrying your cross? Are you following Him? You believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. Then why not today confess that faith with your mouth? Make that decision and that commitment today. Confess that faith with your mouth before others unashamedly. Repent of the sins in your life and be buried with Jesus in baptism. And God will forgive you. And every sin be washed away by God's grace and mercy. And you'll be raised to live a new life. A life for Jesus. A life with Jesus. A life in Jesus. If you are a Christian, and maybe there is sin in your life that you've not corrected, that you've not repented of, you've not approached your Father's still of mercy and grace, if we can assist you today to make your life right with your God, with your Father, and with your Lord and Savior, we invite you as well. Come forward, make your wishes known, while we stand and sing the song of this been selected.